the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Trying again at transit. We're going to talk today about Oakland County's new transit millage, what it would achieve, and the holes it would plug in our gap-filled system here in Southeast Michigan. Are we finally turning a corner after several decades? Then we'll talk about the role that EVs are going to play in the Inflation Reduction Act and the impact that they will have on our electric future. That's all next on Detroit Today. First, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm really glad you've chosen to join us. If you're getting around Metro Detroit, it can be tough even if you have a car. Our roads are notoriously bad and our rush hour traffic can just be bumper to bumper. But if you're one of the many, many people in this region who does not have a car, forget about it. Public transit here is absolutely terrible. There are huge gaps in the system. We have two different systems, one that serves the city, one that serves the suburbs. They often don't coordinate or match up. And we don't invest enough in public transit to make it useful, to make it worthwhile for those who need it. Now, this has been true for decades here in Southeast Michigan. In fact, I'm now in my 50s, and I can't remember a time when we had reasonable, rational public transit in this area. And that fact disproportionately hurts the elderly, the disabled, and, of course, the poor. But it also hurts people who don't want to drive, who want to ride with the public and lower carbon emissions and all kinds of other things that are achieved through public transit. For several years now, we've had a regional transit authority that has tried to create a better regional public transit system, but it has failed to get the votes that it needs to really get started at all of that. Both Macomb and Oakland counties have been sinking the opportunities there. Macomb and Oakland voters and their representatives rejected a better, more comprehensive public transit system. But that doesn't mean that all hope is lost. In this region, transit is still a hot topic, even in Oakland County. And that's because the Oakland County commissioners recently voted 13 to 7 to put a new 95-cent county millage on the November ballot. Now, this would be a new 10-year millage, and it would be expected to raise over $60 million in the first year. It would bolster transit services in Oakland County, fill some of the gaps, and prevent the opt-outs that we see among Oakland County communities today. Those opt-outs, by the way, have a serious practical effect on people's lives 
Remember the story of the walking man, the guy who walked, I think it was 21 miles a day, James Robertson, each way to his job from Detroit out to Auburn Hills. We've got to fix that. It's not just an embarrassment. It kills economic development. It makes life here harder for all kinds of people. And as a major metropolitan area, we just can't afford not to have better public transit. So the question is, how far does this new 10-year millage that's proposed in Oakland get us down that line? Will there be new service lines? Will there be more people who can access Oakland County Transit? And how does it fit into the picture of regional transit? Will this make it easier to connect with Macomb and Wayne, Detroit, Washtenaw County even? That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And to discuss it, We've got Dave Woodward. He is a Democrat, and he is chair of the Oakland County Board of Commissioners. Dave, welcome back to Detroit Today. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for having me. Good to be back. Also with us is Megan Owens, and she is executive director of Transportation Riders United, somebody who has joined us several times over the years to talk about our regional transit woes. Megan, welcome back to Detroit Today as well. Thanks for having me. Uh, We've also asked Ruth Johnson, who is a state senator uh, who lives in Oakland County, also a former secretary of state uh, here in the state of Michigan, to to join us. Uh, She couldn't join us as a guest, but she has called in uh, to to join the program and and give her point of view as well. Hey, Ruth, it's uh, great to have you here as well. Okay, I'm going to start with Dave and Megan here. So uh, this is a 95-cent millage to expand transit. Let's talk about what exactly it would do and how it fits into this bigger conversation that I'm talking about, about regional transit in Southeast Michigan. Dave, I'll start with you. Great. Uh, Thank you very much. And I think your intro is fantastic. Um, I think this proposal is hope for better transit and better access for everyone in Oakland County. This is an Oakland County solution to improving transit across Oakland County, and it does three simple things. It maintains the service that we currently have. Um, Oakland County is served really by four transit agencies that receives public support. SMART, which a lot of people know, um, but also to the north and to the west, we have the North Oakland Transportation Authority and the Western uh, Western Oakland uh, Transportation Authority that provide senior uh, schedule advance door-to-door service to get people around, and then we have the Older Persons Commission that provides um, transportation, similar transportation services in Rochester. We maintain that by replacing the smart millage actually at a lower rate that currently is paid and provides funding for all of those other agencies um, to, uh, to replace uh, their millages as well. Uh, second, it provides new funding to expand routes. Uh, to expand paratransit, microtransit, which uh, hopefully I'm sure to talk about, but this is like your more on-demand service as well as your scheduled advance service. And lastly, um, provides funding for capital to uh, replace vehicles, to invest in technology, to improve transit for the long haul. We're able to do that at a reasonable cost, like I said, replace the smart millage at a lower rate. Uh, Megan, you and I have talked for a long time 
about the fits and starts uh, that we've had as a region trying to get better regional transit. We've talked a lot about the gaps that exist and the things that could fill those gaps. I'm really curious to hear your take on what this Oakland County millage would do to address those those longstanding problems. How much progress would this would this actually be? This will be a huge step forward for the region. Uh, some of the it certainly won't solve all of the transit problems. There's no question uh, that there's a lot more that's needed, but it will address some of the major gaps in the system, places like Novi and Waterford and Rochester and Bloomfield Hills, major communities with a ton of people and jobs and key destinations that if you don't drive, you can't go. Uh, so that to me is is one of the most critical steps uh, that this would do. And then also ensure that no senior anywhere in Oakland County is left stranded in their home just because they can no longer safely drive, ensuring that there is some level of transit throughout all of Oakland County is a huge step in the right direction. So uh, we're really, uh, really pleased to, to see this move forward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ruth Johnson, uh, I, I asked you to join the program because I was watching the news the other night and they were covering the vote at the Oakland County Board of Commissioners on this issue. And I saw you speaking uh, during that meeting, speaking very passionately against the idea of this millage. And and I wanted you to, to, to share that passion with uh, our, our listeners here on, on WDET. Tell me why you oppose this and, uh, and, and tell me how that fits into... I guess your responsibilities as a public official with regard to, to public transit and, and how we make sure people can, can get where they need to go here. Sure, and I really appreciate the opportunity to do that, Stephen. I uh, served on the Oakland County Board of Commissioners for 10 years, and it was uh, then Commissioner Larry Obrecht and I, who many years ago came up with a solution for those communities that did want public transit, and we did the opt-in and opt-out. I represent northern Oakland County. The village of Holly is half Alice Poverty. The township's 43%. People don't have a lot of money. Often we're stereotyped as we do in northern Oakland County, but just not the case. People on that are in Alice Poverty, almost half, are having a hard time buying their medicine and their food. Matter of fact, many of them can't. And now we're going to put a <clears throat> what's averages in my township, a $200 a year tax. And if you live in the west side of Holly, you'll have to drive 20 miles to be able to use the system. We already provide transportation door-to-door for seniors and for those that are disabled. We already have a system that works for people here that want a ride. We don't have the property tax on our homes, our businesses, our stores, our restaurants. And it's huge. It's $200 a year. That's 0.95 of a mil. That's exactly what it takes to run my township, 0.95 of a mil. And we provide buses for our seniors and for those that are disabled, too. We have a working farms. I still have a 3,000, one, just one farm, 3,000 acres, many thousands of acres of farms in northern Oakland County. We're penalizing those people by taxing property, which is the most 
regressive tax we can do. We have all agreed property tax hurts people, and we've tried to change that, and that's why we went from four cents to six cents on a dollar, not for um, not for food, not for medicine, and we tried to reduce property taxes. The people that I represent are going to be taxed more, 41 times more than what we pay in my township, 41 times more than we pay for transit for our seniors and for people with disabilities. I think it's irresponsible not to stand up for those people, those people that are hurting, those people that are trying to make their dollar go. And the, and the system works great in our little townships. I have 6,000 people. That's four times less people per square mile than Gaylord and Grayling. Mm-hmm. The gray line is not doesn't establish that you should pay money to something. Matter of fact, we weren't even in the Oakland County telephone book for decades because we're 20 minutes from Flint. So this system is not going to help people in Rose Township with 6,200 people that already has a system, or Holly, or Groveland, or Addison, or many of us. We would have to drive a half an hour to get to a bus. Uh, yeah. Some so, people, so, it's just not right. So I, I think it's really interesting, the, the position you're taking, that, that transit works fine in your part of the county and that you don't want to be responsible for paying for uh, other parts of the county. But if, if we took that approach... Can, may I, may I yeah, interrupt just go ahead. for a moment? That yeah, would not ahead. be accurate. Okay. Um, we, we are already donating 90% of our money to the greater good. We're already donating. It's the 10% that's left over that we use to get our buses. So we are donating. I just don't believe in putting property taxes. People, when I was county clerk registered deeds, I saw the biggest loss of homes in the history of Michigan since the Great Depression. I know how many people are so close to the edge. Property taxes are the wrong way to go. You have to have food. You have to have shelter. And to tax people on something they have to have that can't afford it, that won't benefit from it at all, when they're already giving 90% of what they what's paid out of their X51 money, I just think it's unfair. And I think it's a great disservice. I do support public transit for people that would like it in the communities that want it. I'm all for it. I helped put that through 21 years ago. Worked very hard on it. And but that's, I, I mean, that's part of our problem, though, here in southeast Michigan, is that certain communities can opt out. And that doesn't just affect the people who live in those communities. It affects all of us. I mean, the story that I referenced in the open uh, about the walking man uh, who, who walked 21 miles each way from his home in Detroit to his job in, in the suburbs, I mean, is a he is an, a consequence of this patchwork that we have why is that why is it we don't do almost any other public service uh with that approach why does transit make sense that way i'm just saying property tax is regressive and it's almost cruel because yes we have people that need transit and um i'm surprised they don't have something for it we we do have in most of the communities we do have some little shuttle bus that does it we only have six thousand people and in 36 square miles. But um, it, you, just because you don't see those people that are, half of them are in, in Alice Poverty and Holly, they can't buy their prescriptions for good food. And now you're going to add on hundreds of dollars. It's $660 million over 10 years on our properties. And now the store owner, they'll have to raise the price of restaurants. Just because you don't see that doesn't mean it's not hurting people, lots of people. 
Yeah. Uh, Ruth, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about uh, your part of the county and the people that you represent and your, and your point of view on this, uh, on this subject. Uh, David Woodward, I want to give you a chance to answer that criticism. Uh, why property tax, which, as, uh, as Ruth points out, is, uh, is somewhat regressive, uh, a somewhat regressive way to, to approach this. And what about those people who are impoverished already be and will you know struggling perhaps to pay their their property taxes uh should should the county commission be thinking more about them than is represented in this millage um Steve, i think it's a great question and i would argue that this proposal absolutely thinks about the most vulnerable population the people that need the support the most and that is actually at the foreground in the foreground of how we talk about them Senator Johnson, I consider a friend. I have known her. We've worked together for 20 years. She's just wrong on this. Um, to assert that the transit needs of even our most rural areas are being met currently is just wrong. It's, it's contrary to census data of where we know where people with disabilities are. It's, it's contrary to our own county studies that show that we are rapidly aging, which is only going to put pressure on systems um, that are necessary to help get... Uh, patients, particularly seniors, to doctor's appointments to maintain their independence in their homes. And um, we aren't putting enough to provide the service that are necessary. This proposal very much built, is built on what works. It's built on local transit authorities that have, um, I mean, I, I, have, I believe have actually created the secret sauce to be able to get seniors, get individuals to where they need to be uh, where they want to go, and I um, and ideally um, do so in a way that's, that's scalable. Um, how do we pay for this? Um, and I think it's a little bit of an exaggeration. The average two hundred thousand dollar home with an assessed value of one hundred thousand dollars, closer to ninety five dollars, a four hundred thousand dollar would be the two hundred. Um, but then I think when you look at what's necessary to provide improved access to everyone across the open, I mean across Oakland County. It's critical, um, and you do that through a variety of strategies, new routes that get to new destinations that are uh, healthcare centers, employment centers. It's, I mean, you, you add in this, I mean, to the segment, um, critical to our economy, but most importantly, important to our quality of life, mm. and it is a reasonable uh, investment um, that ultimately we're letting the voters decide this once and for all. Uh, Megan, uh, I, I want to bring you back into the conversation here as well. The, the idea of how we share the burden for public transit and who benefits from uh, from public transit is the kind of central tension, I think, in, in Southeast Michigan around this issue. I mean, this is what we, I think, have been arguing about for, for 40 years. Uh, uh, talk about how we should be thinking that through and whether, you know, the, the, the voters and the taxpayers that Ruth Johnson represents and is talking about are being unfairly uh, burdened for something that, uh, that they don't benefit for. How, how do we sort that, that part of the puzzle out? Well, um, what Ms. Johnson didn't reference is the fact that one of the biggest costs for families is driving. Uh, people spend more on driving than they do on food, on prescriptions, on healthcare, on schooling, on cable, on 
vacations on anything other than their housing. And in fact, uh, the the biggest drivers of inflation are gas and the cost of cars, mm-hmm. new cars, used cars. So actually, one of the best things we can do for people who are economically struggling is make sure they have a choice. No one's going to take your car away, but if you want a choice in how to get around, uh, if a fam, uh, this is critical for that. If a family can go from maybe three cars down to two cars uh, because they can sometimes uh, get a get a ride uh, on transit, they can save six, eight, ten thousand dollars every single year. Uh, the the hundred dollars or so that that most families would be spending on this over the course of an entire year is is just dwarfed by that uh, enormous cost of driving. And we just take for granted that, of course, everyone's got to drive everywhere. And I think uh, while it's not going to change overnight, making sure everyone has some basic level of options for getting around uh, is is not only the the humane, but the economical thing for our region to do. Uh, and I think this plan is a very balanced way to provide rural transit, uh, paratransit to rural communities to provide um, microtransit, Uber-type shuttles uh, in some of the outer suburban communities, uh, as well as to improve the the fixed route bus service. So it doesn't pretend one size fits all. It identifies what the needs are in the local communities and makes sure everyone has some base level of, of service, some option for how to get around uh, in their communities and between communities. That's the other piece is while some of these townships provide some local uh, services for seniors, most of them don't cross township borders. They won't go on the weekends. They won't go in the evenings. You can't get, I talked to somebody uh, whose son has a, a disability, will never drive, but just getting between Clarkston and Independence Township a few miles away the, the local paratransit will not take him to a, the job he can get just a few miles away because it crosses a border. So uh, ensure, our, since our lives don't end at a township or city border, we need a countywide and ultimately moving towards a region-wide system to ensure everyone can get where they need to go. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about transit in southeast Michigan and this new millage proposal that the voters will face in November in Oakland County. We're going to keep Dave Woodward and Madigan Owens. Uh, Also, Ruth Johnson is on the phone. uh, We need to go back to her at some point to talk about some of the criticisms of this uh, of this proposal. We also want to hear from you, the listeners. Uh, Give us a call. Tell us what you think about this new transit proposal in Oakland. Tell us what you think about transit more generally here in Southeast Michigan and whether this is a step forward in the conversation that we've been having for 40 years about trying to make sure that everyone can get where they need to go and afford uh, to be able to do it. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking right now about this new millage proposal for transit in Oakland County. It would add a 95-cent millage to expand transit uh, all over Oakland County, fill some of the gaps that exist right now uh, in transit, gaps that really define uh, public transportation in our region and have defined public transportation for a really long time. We have not been able to get our act together uh, to make sure that we have a comprehensive system that can get people not just uh, where they want to go, but where they need to go for work, for school, all kinds of things. Uh, our guests right now are Dave Woodward, who is the Democrat and chair of the Oakland County Board of Commissioners. We've also got Megan Owens, who's an executive director of Transportation's, Transportation Riders United, which is a transit advocacy organization. Uh, we've also got a caller with us, uh, Ruth Johnson, who is a Michigan State Senator, a Republican, uh, used to be a member of the Oakland County Board of Commissioners and also was Secretary of State here in the state of Michigan. Uh, she spoke pretty passionately during the Oakland County Board of Commissioners meeting against this proposal. She says that uh, it's a regressive tax on uh, people in her part of the county and that uh, there are better ways to make sure people can get around. Want to hear from you, listeners, about what you think about this transit proposal and about transit more generally in our region. Should we be uh, doing better than we uh, than we do right now? And if so, how? What would you do? What would you be willing to accept, perhaps in new taxes, uh, to make sure that uh, our transit system is more comprehensive? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can include you in the program that way. I want to start with uh, a, a Twitter comment. Dave says, Toledo, Ohio, recently voted to switch from a millage to a sales tax to fund their public transit. Their revenue is now double of what they were raising with a millage. This is something that we need to look at in Michigan, uh, echoing some of the points people are making about the different ways that we might think about trying to fund transit. Uh, let's go to the phones. Jennifer in uh, Independence Township. Jennifer, what's on your mind? Hi, I I just wanted to call in. Um, I was uh, present at the commissioner's meeting uh, this week. Um, I work for a local senior center, and uh, we do uh, run a transportation system out of our office, um, and we work with several partnering communities to provide transportation services for seniors, disabled adults. Um, we've been running our, our program for nearly 20 years, um, we run a successful um, operation. Um, we provide transportation services. I do think that um, a property tax is unfair. Um, you know, 30% of of communities in Oakland County are opt out communities, and and we op and operate um, similar to us. We are a community partner with Smart. Um, we run our program specifically to the needs of our community and uh, our constituents. Um, we do have people that, you know, if this tax is levied against them, um, is not going to benefit our transportation services that we provide. So, Jennifer, um, Jennifer, I, I hear you, and, and I think those are valid concerns, but what about the idea that transit's got to work 
for everyone and that it's a it's a you know it's a it's a communal service it is something that we need to fund uh, countywide and regionwide to make sure that there aren't gaps i mean it's great that you're able to provide this service to the people that you are providing it to but but if you do that and leave it just to individual communities or or individual organizations to do that you will never have an actual public transit system. I mean, it, it's antithetical to the to the very idea of public transit, isn't it? I agree, and and I totally support mass transit, and and for those people that need it, I just think that um, this is not the the solution to do it. I think that the county needs, the board of commissioners needs to step back. It needs to be reevaluated because of the amount of money, sixty six million dollars, that's going into that, and over a 10-year time, is it really, I don't think that they're going to come out with a viable solution. I Mm. I really don't. I don't see that that's a viable solution and and that there's a plan in place that's going in that 10 years that's going to solve this problem. And I think that there needs to be some more time. There needs to be some more evaluation. Looking at other what other communities are doing, I think the gentleman that spoke about a sales tax um, in Ohio, I think there needs to that needs to be thought out a little bit more. Okay, Jennifer, I really appreciate the call uh, and your perspective there in Independence Township. Dave Woodward, a- answer her criticisms. Yeah, I mean, I, think there's, I mean, there's two things. I mean, if we wanted to have a conversation of what's the best way to fund transit, we should. And I would love to work with Senator Johnson and all the legislature to give us the tools to do that. We don't have that tool available to us. Um, and but we could work towards it. This is the tool that's available to us. This plan um, absolutely provides support for those agencies providing that paratransit, microtransit in the um, in the north and the western area. Dedicates guaranteed funding over the um, over the course of the millage and provides the money for expansion. I have to just disagree with the last caller. The idea that the transit needs of everyone in Independence Township is being met is not true. I mean, again, it's contrary to census data. It's contrary to the evidence of a growing aging population um, based on the little amount of money. We're talking being pennies on the dollar being spent, and it provides support to those it can. It just can't reach all the people it needs to, and so that's what this proposal does. Um, one, I guess one other last point, and I, mean, ter- and I think you posed the question, like the value to um, the communal benefit to everybody. We all pay for roads in Independence Township and other places that we will never drive on, that we will never use. Now, we could argue, well, we shouldn't pay for that, and only Independence Township should pay for it. Right. But they couldn't. It's, I mean, it would be impossible. There, we need roads, and so we all pay for it. Trans is the same way. We all have to um, be able to support this so that at minimum the most vulnerable populations our, um, our disabled, um, those who need it to get to jobs, students to get to school, uh, patients to get to health care can, um, can have access to the opportunities all those things present and connect us to the destinations that we need to and want to go. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to go back to uh, Ruth Johnson here, uh, a Michigan State Senator who is uh, from Oakland County, represents part of Oakland County. Uh, something the caller said, Ruth, uh, really stuck with me, which was that this is the wrong way, she thinks, to pay for this. And you've said the same thing. I, I wonder if you can tell us what you would prefer in terms of paying f- for transit, if not this assessment on 
on property, which would, of course, uh, raise this this sixty million dollars each year. Um, how else? How else should we be trying to get that money? Well, first of all, we will never meet all the needs of somebody that wants a ride ever, no matter how much money we put into it. That's a fact. We can't do that as a society to drive someone from Groveland Township to uh, a factory in Detroit. The cost is prohibitive. There is, it's not an endless bucket. Property taxes are absolutely the worst, but I do want to make a quick comment. We are caring for our vulnerable. We do it comprehensively for 41 times, not 40%, 41 times less than the SMART uh, plan has. 41 times, hardly nine times less to provide the same transportation. We are doing comprehensive for those that are disabled. And we even put in funds so that people can go out of the county because we do live in an area that lacks commerce, that lacks doctors, that lacks, we are like way up north. We're, we're very low populated with lots of farms, lots of agriculture. They'll be taxed too for our food. But they, they, they have a system that actually lets them go out of the county so they can go to their doctors. They can go to a better grocery store. I have no, we have very little up here as far as commerce goes or um, professionals. And um, Jennifer from Independence Township from Clarkson was exactly right. How come we can do that for 41 times or nine times less? There's something wrong. We need to make sure that we give the people the best bang for their buck. And when well, isn't work- it about scale? I mean, look, if you if you left everybody to fend for themselves, first of all, I mean, there's some communities that couldn't do it on their own. But but Dave Woodward's analogy to the roads. I mean, we pay taxes uh, for roads in places that many of us will never ever be. But the 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 idea is that everybody needs roads, and everybody's got to be able to to get around and and that's the way that's the way government and government services work what's wh- why why should transit be so different well first of all the most effective system uh, for buses when i was a county commissioner because i was instrumental in making sure that those that uh, those communities that wanted to plan would have the vehicle to do that um, is having ones that are not one large one. They were, I believe, nine different bus uh, companies, in essence, and they just worked with each other. There was competition. They they could say, how come, uh, let's say, business A is charging twice as much for the same services? There was some checks and balances. But when you're telling me you're going to charge us nine or 41 times more for the same service, you know there's something wrong here. And when you put it on property taxes, it's wrong. Having individual ones that work together, local, 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 this takes away all our local control, too. And that's a really big issue. Uh, Michigan is a local control. We can work with each other. My township works with both the townships beside us because we don't even have a school in my township. And so we, we work with the others. We, work, we have a, a North Oakland County Fire Authority. Three communities work together. Yeah. With our, our money that we use, we work with two other townships. We could work with more, and NOTA and, and all the other ones, one that Larry Obrecht started in Oxford, Orion. We work with each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Ruth, but i got to say, look, the, the, the 40 years of experience here in southeast michigan shows that when we leave it to individual communities we end up with huge gaps and we end up actually playing into uh, the history of 
segregation and inequality in this region that keeps poor communities from being able to access the same things as as others. And and look, it sounds it sounds great to say, uh, you know, we could let everybody decide for themselves and work together. But in practical terms, that's going to leave a lot of communities out. And and I just don't. I, 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 if you believe in public transit and the value of public transit, I think you've got to approach it from a standpoint that says, look, we've, we've all got to work together on this and not be one-offs. Uh, Megan Owens, I want to, I heard you chime up there. I want to make sure you uh, get a chance to, to respond here. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, uh, uh, she's specifically avoided your question of what's the right way to fund it, um, because there's a lot of people who use a lot of excuses. Um, but ultimately just don't want to have to pay for uh, anything that uh, they don't personally use. There were a lot of people at the commission meeting um, who were like, well, I'm not going to use this. Well, I've never used the fire department, but I'm still happy to put money into the fire department. I don't personally use a whole lot of the the county parks way up in northern or western Oakland, um, but uh, I was sure happy to invest in those. These you're right, Stephen, that these there are certain essential community resources. And what may have made sense 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when this opt-out system was created, is no long doesn't necessarily make sense. Novi and Rochester and Oxford and Wixom, these are no longer uh, tiny rural villages. These are major uh, communities with tens of thousands of people. And if you don't drive, you can't go. That's just absurd. Uh, there were there, there are. This is a really essential step forward. Uh, there's there's also a lot of concern that it's not enough. Uh, it we are spending a third as a metro region. We invest a third of what most major metropolitan areas spend on their transit systems, uh, and that's why we have these gaps. Um, and. And, and what is being provided in a lot of these rural areas is not enough. So we need to invest more uh, to ensure that everyone can get around. Uh, we need to work together as a community like we invest in parks and in fire departments and in libraries uh, to ensure that whether you wanna use it um, to get around, to get down to a ball game without having to spend 40 bucks on parking or risk a DUI, whether you have to use it because your car happened to have broken down uh, and it's in the shop for a week or two, uh, or uh, or whether uh, like a friend of mine who has um, who has epilepsy, a couple times a year he may have a seizure, which means he will never get behind the wheel of a car. Sure. Should he be able to visit places like Oxford or Independence Township? or uh, some of the, these other rural communities? Should he be able to access all that our region provides? Or because he doesn't personally drive, should he be limited in where he can uh, visit and work and shop and play? This is a modest but essential step towards ensuring that people have options for getting around uh, and that we are working together as a community to provide the types of transit each different uh, area needs to be able to succeed um, 
both economically and for a good quality of life. Okay, uh, I would love to continue this conversation, of course, uh, but we are we are out of time. Uh, I want to thank Dave Woodward, Megan Owens, and Ruth Johnson uh, for joining us here on Detroit Today to talk about this. We're going to talk about it several times more, I'm sure, before the vote in November, but uh, really appreciate all of you being here. With I appreciate it. I'm just asking, don't tax my poor people so somebody can go drink beer. That's all. Don't make them not take their medicine or buy food so somebody yeah. can get drunk and go to Tiger's game. That's offensive, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to switch topics a little bit. We're going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and the role that EVs play in this legislation. Uh, Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast, is going to join us. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, thanks for tuning in. The Inflation Reduction Act is a really, really big deal. Like it or hate it, this piece of legislation invests a lot of money in green technology, more money than Congress has ever invested before. And specifically, it invests in things like wind and solar, heat pumps, charging stations, and electric vehicles. But of course, with more money comes more problems, as they say, and this legislation raises an important question. Are car companies adequately prepared to receive these federal incentives from the Inflation Reduction Act for EVs? Jamie Butters is executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast, and he says the answer is no. In a recent article in Automotive News, he notes that six of the 10 most popular EVs today won't qualify under this act because they're too expensive or aren't made here in North America. He also notes that if the act works, then the federal government will have to pay an additional $60 billion per year until 2033. To talk about all this and the future of the auto industry here in Michigan as it relates to EVs, we have Jamie Butters with us. Jamie, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Great to be here. So let's start with the goal here. Uh, this is the most Congress has ever put into green technology. How many EV cars is it hoping to put on the road in 10 years? And how much can we phase out internal combustion engines uh, by that time? You know, President Biden's goal was 50%, uh, 50% zero emission vehicles. That could include fuel cell cars, but <clears throat> going to be very few of those. EVs are really where it's at. Uh, you know, the automakers, the Detroit Three were like, yeah, we can try for that. Maybe let's say 40%, 40 to 50, <laughs> something like that. I mean, you figure the U.S. market at natural run rate is somewhere 16, 17 million light vehicles a year. So if you're going to be 40 or 50% of that, you're talking about 8 million EVs a year. Uh -huh. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, easier... 
if the economics get better, it'll get a lot easier, but um, easier to do on the small end and with the big trucks and all that. So one of the things that you point out here is that six of the most popular EVs won't even qualify for those new federal incentives. So talk about those 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 six most popular vehicles and, and I guess what they would have to do to conform with what Congress is trying to achieve. Well, I, I hope you don't mind. I need to get into the politics just a little. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, this, of course, this was a compromise deal with Joe Manchin from the senator from West Virginia, mm-hmm. conservative Democrat, coal state. He didn't want to have the big EV tax credits that uh, Senator Stabenow and uh, Dale Kildee from Michigan were proposing that would really favor UAW-made vehicles. They wanted U.S.-made vehicles made by union labor give an extra $4,500 to those vehicles. He didn't want to do that. He's from a pretty non-union approach there. He's got Toyota in his backyard. So it's like, okay, the auto industry wants wants a good support. $7,500 is a significant amount. But then what are the limits, right? Well, we we want local jobs. So we want the vehicles to be made in North America. That rule takes effect as soon as the president signs the bill. As soon as it's enacted, the current $7,500 and a little less than that for Toyota uh, goes away unless the vehicle is made in North America. Then we have the new rules that come in January 1st where the cap gets lifted, Tesla and GM get brought back in, but they don't wanna be supporting uh, toys for rich people. So (laughs) if you're an individual tax filer making more than $150,000 a year or a couple making more than 300,000, you're not going to qualify. So that takes out a lot of the current EV buyers. A lot of EVs are really expensive. That was part of the magic of Tesla's business model, sell really expensive cars that'll pay for the technology. So then, okay, we don't want to be subsidizing expensive toys for rich people. So if the if it's a truck or SUV that costs more than $80,000, we're really talking about the Hummer, you know, the Hummer EV pickup, the mm-hmm. the nice version of the uh, of the Ford F one fifty Lightning, uh, but also the Model S and the Model X. Hey, if you can afford a hundred thousand dollar car, you can afford it yourself, right? And that's sort of. And then they don't want to be supporting, as one of the things Joe Manchin really said, we don't want to build this new mode of transportation on the backs of what do you say, Chinese? I mean, that to turn us from being maybe dependent on oil to dependent on you know, battery on minerals battery and technology. from, yeah. yeah, from China. So 24 and 25, we see these rules coming in demanding that the, that the minerals come from the U S or countries with which we have a free trade agreement, uh, that components don't come from a foreign entity of concern. Uh, so it's really, it's like, Hey, they put a lot of rules on it. If you meet all the rules, you get a really significant <laughs> benefit, a real significant tailwind to selling the vehicles. But you, by by mid-decade, you're going to have to jump through a lot of hoops. So as an outside observer of, of all of this, I would have said before this legislation passed that automakers, especially our domestic automakers, are already really focused on this shift to electric vehicles. It seems like that's what they're really excited about developing. It seems like that's where they're placing their money in terms of uh, investment and, and research and things like that. And, and here 
comes Congress saying, well, yeah, we, we think uh, you could move faster or we think you could move in a different way. Is this an example of Congress kind of meddling in something that was already working and making it broken? Or is this Congress <laughs> kind of, you know, goosing the, the, the process along in a helpful way? It's, uh, you know, helpful to whom and how, but the, a big part of it is that supply chain component, right? Okay. Um, we could maybe we get more EVs sold and maybe, you know, with the other version, with the old system, it was going to run down, right? So as much as while GM is very excited about becoming all EV, maybe by 2035 and, and all EV for Cadillac and Buick by 2030, they sure would like more taxpayer support behind that. Uh, so the demand is then yeah, to try to find ways to source the minerals that don't come from places that have really bad human rights records, right? We'd rather get lithium from the Salton Sea in California and from, you know, big mines up in Canada than taking cobalt from the Congo. And it's going to be a real benefit to anyone who can figure out, you know, how to make a good enough battery without using any cobalt. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you talk about this uh, this act and the way that if it works perfectly, the federal government might need to pay $60 billion a year to support supply chains and manufacturing plants. Talk about how you come up with this number and where would that money come from? <laughs> I mean, the money would come from the IRS, I guess. Uh, they come from the Treasury Department. But, tax, you know, there's just the math. Yes, yeah, tax that wouldn't be collected. Um, you know, 16 million vehicles. I think that's conservative, actually, you know, for the late decade, but let's say 16 million vehicles, 50% EVs, maybe that's a little aggressive, you know, but if it's 50% of 16, that's 8 million at $7,500 a piece. If all the sourcing is done within all the guidelines, that's that just the mass out to $60 billion a year. Maybe it'll be half that, but $30 billion, that is a huge support. You know, you think about the... You know, people throw around numbers, you know, how much does, you know, the government support the oil industry and whatnot. So, I mean, it's, maybe it's not a, a bad investment, but it's expensive. And when that money gets taken away, assuming, I mean, the way it's written now, the legislation runs through 2022, then the spigot gets turned off. Yeah. And that's going to be a big shock to the system. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Butters, executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. It was really great to have you here to explain this new legislation for us. Uh, thanks so much for joining. My pleasure. All right, that is going to do it for us today. Come back on Monday when we're going to be talking about the book, How Civil Wars Start, and what the possibility and likelihood is of America tipping back into the idea of a war amongst ourselves. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again on Monday.